Namaste. I have a very special program for you. Uh, as you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people in, uh, uh, in the United States have observed that uh, there are many interfaith marriages. Uh, maybe 30, 40, 50 percent of our, our people here are marrying outside the tradition, outside our faith. Uh, not that it's a problem, but at least we ought to be conscious of it and we ought to understand it better. So I'm going to bring today a very special guest uh, later in the show. Uh, his name is Dr. Dilip Amin, who has written an important book on interfaith marriages. And uh, while he's a full-time research scholar in cancer research, uh, uh, and he's, he's going to be coming from the West Coast by Skype, uh, actually for the last decade he spent much of his time uh, pursuing this research, teaching, uh, debating, discussing, negotiating this kind of interfaith marriage from the Hindu perspective. So I'm delighted and honored uh, to, uh, to uh, have him on my show. Uh, before I bring him on, I want to give a little overview, a little background uh, and, and, and contextualize this topic in light of my own book, Being Different. In my book, uh, Being Different, I've discussed many issues uh, where the Abrahamic religions and the Dharmic religions have irreconcilable differences. These are, it's not that uh, you can have a win-win easily. I mean, uh, and I won't go through all this, but you can watch many of my talks on being different uh, and read the book. Uh, and there it becomes very clear that if you are, if two people are going to come together ideologically, they better put these issues on the table and have a very informed discussion and then come up with some compromises or whatever they, whatever they want to. I have no problem with people agreeing to whatever they want to but with, with open eyes. That's all my job is. So, so for instance, uh, uh, the issues in, in being different I've discussed that these issues of serious differences, uh, how do people live with them, with someone? One is you accept that you are below and they are above. Uh, you have an inferiority complex or whatever. And so you, have, uh, you resolve it by looking at uh, it from below. And you tend to mimic and you tend to say that I'm almost like you. Uh, it's not that bad. I'm kind of like you except me and I'm similar to you. And you're diluting yourself. The opposite uh, method of reconciling is superiority. Where somebody asserts their difference from above. Uh, it's almost like, okay, you're no good. And that also is a recipe for, uh, for uh, problems. And then there, are, uh, there is a posture which says, uh, we, I'll just ignore the difference. I'll pretend there is no difference. So there is no problem. What's the problem? And you come up with something very simplistic, uh, silly kind of uh, rationale. And, and in the end, that doesn't really work. Uh, then there is this uh, conflict that you kind of have a fight. That's a, that's a way to uh, 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 deal with difference also. Uh, and then another one is digestion. You kind of uh, uh, let the other party di digest your tradition and just give you some symbolic place here and there. Uh, so you can feel okay that, uh, you know, we also got this festival of lights. It's no longer going to be Diwali. They may call it Diwali, but it doesn't have that, that spiritual significance. Uh, it's, it's sort of the festival of lights, good over evil, very abstract. It doesn't have anything Hindu in it. So you allow yourself to get digested. These are all different techniques that uh, people have used. Now, uh, when it, people are dating from 
one, one side from the Dharmic faith and the other side from the Abrahamic faith, uh, you see there tends to be some problems. I am going to list some of the problems. Uh, there is this blindness due to love. Blindness or let's just say there is so much passion and so much excitement because they are in love that they ignore, they, don't, they filter out, they just don't want to, uh, they bracket off to the side uh, issues that may be complex and messy. They don't want to deal with them. Um, and they are thinking of their relationship as individuals, not realizing that there's also communities, families, uh, children will be born. Uh, you know, there are many other issues be besides just two individuals because you are not isolated from the rest of the, your life, nor is the other person. And so you have to bring all your context and their context. There are holidays, there are all sorts of, uh, you know, food habits, there are dress habits, there are, uh, uh, you know, there are, there are spiritual traditions, there are practices, there are deities involved, all of that. So you need to understand that the issue is not just simply uh, two individuals being in love. Then there are, uh, the, the, the individuals tend to be inexperienced on the complexity of what they are getting into. Uh, it's good that they want to explore and get into something interesting, but with more information, with better knowledge, uh, the outcome may be superior. Um, then there is a tremendous ignorance of the other person's religion. This is very serious. Hardly any Hindus I've come across have done serious Purva Paksha or understanding the other side from a really honest, open-minded point of view. They have gen very uh, kind of silly ideas that all is all religions are the same. There's one God, no matter how you go there, uh, all paths lead to this and that. I won't, I don't have the time to argue about this. I've done enough arguing in my talks and in my books and I encourage you to read that please. But these are not correct. These, these, these views are very uh, naive and simple-minded views. Then there is this business that, uh, of liberalism is a fad, especially when people are dating in college, liberalism, pluralism, uh, this postmodernism that there are no boundaries. These are fads and it's very easy to sort of uh, become a fad, faddish person and just slip into the trends. Now, uh, finally, I think one of the issues, one of the, uh, uh, one of the uh, things that prevents good, genuine un mutual understanding is that people are embarrassed to talk about such things in, in a love affair. Uh, they are embarrassed to raise these issues with honesty and say, hey, listen, you know, we're going to, we might be spending a long time together, more, all our lives maybe, uh, we ought to understand each other in more detail and what we don't know, we should get an expert to tell us, maybe we need to read, maybe we need to go to, for counseling, but we need to, we can't just ignore this. The tendency is to sort of ignore this um, uh, rather than saying, let's put our, put the things on the table and talk about it. So these are some of the, uh, uh, the, the issues going into a matrimonial relationship. Many conflicts occur later because they were not addressed. The problems were not addressed. The fault lines, the irreconcilable differences, all the negotiable differences were not put on the table up front with enough honesty and disgust. Okay? And so therefore they come back and haunt you. This ignoring the issues up front comes back and haunts you. I'm going to discuss it with my guest later in the show. And uh, in his book also, he's saying similar things. So I just want to prepare you with some background. Uh, the Abrahamic religions have the exclusivity. They are history-centric as I've described. And so while it's easy for a Hindu to sort of say, okay, fine, Jesus is just another avatar. And, uh, you know, Muhammad was just another great teacher and a prophet. But the other person is not willing to say that he was just one of many. He, they, for them, the exclusivity is very important. And for them, 
accepting their, tradi their tradition at face value means that your tradition has to be negated. It has to be you know, compromised. Uh, they cannot, uh, uh, they cannot uh, basically uh, uh, say that both are okay. Uh, repudiating, repudiating the other person's religion is a very important part of being a Jew, a Christian and a Muslim or a Muslim uh, in the traditional sense. So this is something you ought to understand and therefore later after the marriage these problems begin to surface. Uh, scriptures may be, non, may be not uh, possible to reconcile. I, I won't go through all the details of what's written here and what's written there to tell you what are some of the issues. People keep coming up with superficial agreements. Okay, it's that they keep finding a quote from here which is similar to the quote from there, but that doesn't work. It's like saying an apple is the same thing as an orange because both are round and both got some juice and both got some uh, you know vitamin C and both grow grow on trees. Okay, there are some similarities. In a Venn diagram, you have some similarities, some overlaps between two different things, but that doesn't mean that they are identical. There are also serious differences. So we should look at the similarities, we should also look at the differences. And those differences are of a pretty substantial nature as I have uh, described elsewhere. Now there are mandatory do's and don'ts, yam and niyam, dharmic versus adharmic, and commandments and various rules and policies and churches. And rabbi, rabbis make these in, uh, interpret these in Judaism. And the sharia is very strong in terms of do's and don'ts, what you can do, what you cannot do. So if you take a list of the do's and don'ts of the dharmic traditions, even in a very flexible way, and then you come up with the do's and don'ts of the other tradition, it is not so easy to say that everything is same and everything is harmonious. It is not so. Yes, they will agree, okay, we'll put, take our shoes off. And yes, they will say, okay, we'll wear a sari. Those are simple things. But there are serious differences that one, where one has some mandates which the other side will not accept. Okay, there are many of those. Then there are rituals, aesthetics, food habits, dress habits, family, uh, you know, relations and so on. So all kinds of traditions, holidays, festivals, where things are not entirely compatible. And, and, and that, uh, that needs to be uh, addressed also. So... Uh, these fault lines exist. It is possible to have a very harmonious interfaith relationship for life, provided you know this and your partner knows this and you have open conversations and you put these on the table and you talk about them. You figure out what, you, you have to be first of all knowledgeable in your tradition and also very curious and eager to learn about the other side's tradition. If you are not, if you think that this doesn't matter, it won't matter, it, then only is there going to be a potential problem. So, uh, if you look at Judaism, Judaism, uh, uh, I'll give you the, some of the issues from each of the uh, major Abrahamic religions. Uh, none of them allow what they call idol worship, which means murti puja, uh, worship uh, uh, with form, with uh, objects, substances, images, pictures of, you know, Ram, Krishna, uh, you know, uh, Durga, Kali, Shiva, etc., uh, these are what they would consider idolatry, okay? And you cannot just talk them out of it. A lot of these traditions have a history of fighting European paganism and African and Latin American paganism. Uh, and, the, and what they fought for was these very things. So when they see a Hindu, they feel that, hey, this, is, this guy is bringing us back to the old pagans we got rid of. Uh, 
So uh, it's very difficult for them to accept and respect a, a kind of things that remind them of uh, people they have defeated, conquered, suppressed, eradicated. Okay. So there are these uh, serious, uh, serious issues. Then the ceremonies like bar mitzvah uh, very, uh, for Jews, uh, very ritualistic circumcision in Judaism you know, and Islam with very strong religious meanings. These are, these are problems and issues for uh, people from the Hindu faith to, to face. In Christianity, uh, the exclusivity of a historical Jesus uh, repudiates other claims, other itihas from our side. Baptism and what it signifies and what it requires you to accept and how you have to reject all other things, uh, same way. And the authority of the church as the ultimate final authority to interpret all these matters in your life and the life of your family and your children. It's a pretty, pretty tough thing that you have to understand. So uh, in, in, uh, in uh, Islam, when a wedding is taking place, it's called nikah. And the nikah can only be done between two Muslims. So if a Muslim is doing the marriage with a non-Muslim, then before the nikah, there's a preamble of conversion. The conversion is a preamble. Uh, whether you know it or not, you are actually saying, I'm denouncing my faith. I'm denouncing everything else I believed in until this point in time. I will not be uh, 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 doing those things anymore. And I'm going to become a Muslim uh, from now on. And I accept all the articles of Islam and blah, blah, blah. So you, the, if you are doing a nikah, with a, if a Hindu is doing a nikah with a Muslim person, uh, please know that you cease to be a Hindu after that ceremony is over. You are not allowed to have, say, we are both this one, that one, and so on. Okay, that, that doesn't work. Uh, now, let me, uh, let me show you a, a few things uh, to illustrate some of the issues that may come up and how different people have dealt with these issues. Uh, let's look at the Khans. Uh, you know, we look at Shah Rukh Khan, uh, you know, the, uh, this, uh, uh, the, the Amir Khan, uh, uh, and Saif Ali Khan, let's look at these Khans of Bollywood, big icons, and discuss how each of them marrying a Hindu, how it has worked out. So first video clip I, I want you to see uh, is, uh, is concerns uh, Shah Rukh Khan. Uh, let's hear this, let's watch this video. Children should know about value of God, whether it's a Hindu God or a Muslim God. So next to Ganesha and Lakshmi, we have the Quran also there. And, uh, uh, we put our hands together and say the Gayatri Mantra, which my son says, and I say, Bismillah. Okay, so this is the most uh, liberal of the three examples that I'm going to show you. Uh, but notice, even here, uh, he, he, he says his son can do all these things with Hindu stuff, but he himself is going to say, Bismillah. He's not going to say, you know, Lord Ganesh or Shiva or in the worship. When the Hindus are worshipping, uh, you know, Krishna or Shiva or some Ganesh, uh, the Muslim is, even the liberal Muslim in him is going to substitute Bismillah. That is his view. So this business of all of them are same is, is doesn't work because if they're all the same, why wouldn't he say Shiva? Why wouldn't he say Ganesh? If they are the same, how does it matter? So it does matter. Uh, okay. So now the second uh, example is uh, Saif Ali Khan. Uh, uh, before we see the example, I want you to know, uh, he is the son of uh, Sharmila Tagore. His first mar marriage was with a, with a Hindu and he required her to convert. She had to convert to being a Muslim. Uh, they, after a while, they had a divorce. So then Saif Ali Khan married a second time 
Uh, now it is uh, from the famous Kapoor family, from the famous, uh, you know, Raj Kapoor, Shami Kapoor, the different uh, uh, Rishi Kapoor, the whole Kapoor family. So, she, the daughter of a very uh, major iconic Hindu family, uh, she is now the second wife. So, this time he has decided not to convert her. So, let's watch his video on this. That again, that's the trouble with religion really. It expects conversion. Mm. Um, and I, I don't buy that. I don't believe that anymore. So, he's realized his mistake. Okay, so that's, a, that's an interesting thing. And I, we don't have enough more details on what exactly the relationship is. A lot depends on Karina, how strong a Hindu she is, how much she knows about Hinduism and to what extent she will raise her own children. It's like he's given her the freedom and now it's up to her to, uh, you know, utilize that freedom. Is she prepared for it? Is she informed, educated, confident? We don't know. So, I, I just, I'm just telling you to the extent I do know. Uh, the, the third example, uh, I want to show you a slide. I don't have a video. On the slide, he's saying, but of course, I had made it very clear that my kids will always follow only Islamic religion. Okay, so he marries a Hindu and remember, note, he doesn't even say our kids. Okay, so this is a very chauvinistic, Islamic uh, of the three Khans example that gave you, uh, I would say the worst. Uh, and his wife didn't do a good job of negotiating these up front. Uh, she didn't do a good job of understanding, making the rules clear. She just got into it for whatever reasons and thought that it will be all okay. That maybe, you know, but this is his view. So, the moral of all this, of all these three examples and many other examples of this sort is that don't leave things implicit. Make them explicit. Don't be afraid, embarrassed. Put it on the table and discuss that this is who I am. If you love me, you can't say I love you except for all the things that are in your heart. You have to say, if you love me, then love me as I am in my entire context, in my whole being, the way I am. And this is an important part of my heritage, who I am. And I want to pass it on to my kids. So, I will, uh, I will now turn to uh, the, the second part of this uh, show with the, uh, my guest who has been waiting uh, on Skype, uh, uh, Dr. Dilip Amin. Uh, welcome, uh, Dilip Bhai, to my show. Thank you. It's my honor to be on this show. Dilip Bhai, uh, I've been explaining, as you heard, uh, the synergy between the work I do, as, as discussed in Being Different, my book, and the work you've done. Uh, you've read my book, so tell us a little about it yes. and how it relates to your own work. When I read your book, I found it that it's a really great example of comparing Abrahamic to the Dharmic faiths. And there are so many salient points and what is being Dharmic, what is being pluralist, who is exclusivist, so many exclusivist ideologies in Judeo-Christians. And uh, when uh, I'm an interfaith marriage consultant, my website is interfaithshadi.org and I have consulted some 1200 youths by now. And when I'm contacting them, I, every time I re think of your book and your words, that these people have not learned it, the exclusivity is so much in their mind. Even though they on the stage, they talk about, yes, we are open-minded, we are secular, we are pluralist, but it's really an issue. And that uh, anyone in interfaith love should know it. Yeah, I, and I think for the benefit of the audience, uh, I did not take up the specific issue of 
marriage and dating in my book. Correct. I talked about what are the differences and how these differences can create issues. Now, what Dilip Bhai has done is taken one particular domain of life, namely dating and marriage in the United States and applied these principles in great detail to figure out what will happen uh, if you are naive, you know, and you don't ask these questions, you're afraid, you're embarrassed, you're ignorant, whatever, or you're trying to be politically correct. And so you don't want yeah. to raise these issues and how these, this will come back and haunt you later. So he's, uh, he's uh, kind of uh, telescoped in, drilled in on one particular aspect, which is dating and marriage. Marriage. So, that is so, uh, so I want to show uh, something from your book, uh, Dilip Bhai, which is uh, statistics, statistics uh, on uh, uh, how many uh, uh, marriages there are and so on. So Dilip Bhai, tell us, tell us uh, what do these statistics indicate, these uh, statistics, uh, and how did you gather these statistics? Yeah. Uh, first of all, on my website, uh, there are 60% of people, they are coming from Indian or subcontinents, uh, 10-15% from uh, Malaysia, a lot of Middle East, Europe, and also America. So it's a worldwide experience what I am presenting here. And 1,200 youths over 12 years, so it's a lot of information. Uh, I did a survey using uh, uh, Macy's marriage uh, uh, registry, and I found that 38% of Hindus, Sikhs, and Jain married to Abrahamic names, and that is uh, Christian Jews and Muslims. Later on, uh, I was curious, how about Muslims? And I thought that probably 5% of Muslims may be marrying outside these faiths. So there is a Muslim girl, Shefak Mayak, we got together and we both were interested and we did the same kind of survey as I did it earlier. And to both of our surprise, we found that 45% of Muslims in America marry to a non-Muslim. Again, it's a subject, uh, people we put it maybe of uh, more educated and established community. Uh, in literature, it is known up 40% or up to, for Jews, it's a 58%. For Catholics, it's a, something like 40%. They marry outside their faith. Uh, so interfaith marriage is a part of our life. We have so, to learn with... Yeah, go ahead. So, so, so go ahead. So, so, so uh, uh, Dilip Bhai, uh, I'll interject just to uh, elaborate uh, your findings and get more questions. So sure. are the 38% uh, Dharmic people mar who marry outside and uh, the 45% Muslims who marry outside. Are these first generation or second generation? Are they new immigrants who are doing it or is it mainly people who are here for many generations? Yeah, uh, Pew conducted a study earlier, Pew Research Foundation conducted a study and they found uh, some 5 or 10% of uh, Hindus marrying outside that faith. The problem with their survey was majority, some 60% were uh, immigrant uh, Hindus or uh, coming from India. In my survey, uh, because I use the Macy's marriage registry, and I believe those are all American-born and uh, uh, established in, uh, Hindus we are talking about, and same for Muslims. So, so can we uh, can we uh, conclude that immigrants who've just come are more likely to marry in their own community? maybe only 5% or so 10% will marry outside. But their children, who are the second generation, 
are likely to uh, have this 38% in the case of Dharmic people, 45% for Muslims, they are likely to marry outside. So, they are getting assimilated, Americanized and therefore, they are losing their identity. That's, that's what you want to say. Uh, they are marrying outside that faith, that I can tell you. Losing identity is a different question. For example, 45% of people marrying outside their faith in Muslims, but we don't know how many are actually converting. So, if once other party converts to Islam, then it is within faith marriage. It's not a outside that faith. And it's possible that... Yeah, no, that's a... Please continue because it's a very important point you just made. Very important point. So, if uh, out of 45%, I don't have no clue, but I would expect, uh, based on what I have seen on my website, at least 90% or if 99% of Muslims will want their spouse converted. No buts and ifs. So, in America, it's possible, large number may be converting. So, for Islam, it's a within-faith marriage. It's not inter-faith marriage. So, the, the important point uh, that Dilip Bhai just made is, that while the Muslim may be marrying a Hindu, the Hindu will be converting to Islam. Or while the Muslim yeah. may be marrying a Christian, the Christian will convert to Islam. So, the married life is between Muslims. The person was that a non-Muslim, the person was a non-Muslim while dating. But during Nikah, the actual marriage ceremony, in the, uh, in the very beginning, before the marriage itself happens, they do conversion of the other person. So, it looks like it's one big ceremony, but actually you've been converted. So, I think this is a very important point you are making that when Muslims marry outside the tradition, uh, they are expanding the Islamic population because the other person is becoming a Muslim. This is not true in the case of Hindus who believe that all religions are the same, it doesn't matter and, and things like that. So, Hindus are, it would be interesting to find out, out of the 38% Hindus who married non-Hindus, what percent of those required their spouse to officially, formally convert and become a Hindu. I mean, that would be kind of an interesting exercise. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have those statistics. And uh, one important point I tell on my, I have covered in my book, and that is, uh, it's called love proselytization. So, people get in love for one to ten years, average three years, and then they come to me on my website that uh, now we are start talking about marriage and all of a sudden this problem comes. What can I do? So, what I say is after getting in love for three to ten years and then open up your mouth that now you have to convert, that's an ugly form of proselytization. That's really, really sad. It really boils my heart. So, what you are saying, I guess, is that people should think of it early. People should think of it earlier in the relationship because if you've been together for three years to ten years, then you're th uh, about to marry and now you're thinking about it. So, it's a done deal. I mean, what are you going to do now? I mean, it's almost like that you know the conclusion. You know the conclusion you want and now you yeah. just want to rationalize it. Uh, so, you're not yeah. willing to swallow the uh, truth and do something serious. Yeah, correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, Dilip Bhai, uh, the last point uh, you have on your slide, uh, uh, I got this from your book, uh, is that uh, the divorce rate for interfaith couples is 50% higher. So, tell me about it. How, wh wh why, uh, how did you find this out and what do you attribute it to? In my book, I have given the re references to that. Uh, now, these divorce rates are very difficult to judge because if somebody marries today at age 20, and may live till age 99. 
and uh, no there is no survey done to continuously monitor it but in general divorce rates in america are very very high there are so many statistics which says uh, divorce rates are easily 30 40 50% and there are reports clearly showing that in general divorce rates are higher in interfaith marriage versus in within faith marriage so i don't have clear statistics on it but there are many uh, published literature you could check on google so uh, dilip bhai uh, here i want to say that uh, 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 you and i agree on what are some of the differences and what are some of the causes i've explained in great length in my book being different i've also at the beginning of the show uh, described that these are some uh, problems that that the issues that will come up philosophical ritual uh, you know because of uh, dress habits eating habits family life many many kind of tension many fault lines uh, yeah. uh, the way i look at it is there are many fault lines uh, that are buried initially because of the love blindness uh, or, or love uh, enjoy not blindness yeah. necessarily but the joy of love uh, yeah, and then yeah. then when that becomes old and fatigued and there is stress and tension then that puts a lot of pressure on these fault lines and there there is a risk that things could fall apart so given that given that uh, this is a risk statistically 50% more divorces so we know we got a problem so you are a di- doctor you know we've got a diagnostic so the diagnostic says this is a problem so now what yeah. is your prescription i want to know what is your what how do you prevent this so let's that hear you very that is one very great point so dilip bhai uh, i got these points from your book so please tell us what you think are uh, the main uh, issues and what are the what is the solution the first solution clear solution is uh, the education and knowledge hindu parents are such a big mistakes they make it that they assume that the child will never have an interfaith marriage they will only marry to somebody from their own faith and that's very very wrong they must uh, assume that they will marry to christian jews muslim and they start getting prepared for it if they do that they will have so much knowledge and if and in the end if they marry within faith great if not at least they will be much better prepared uh issues let's say if you are marrying to a jew christians or muslim first of all all those three faiths are very exclusive it's uh, fundamentally as per the scripture saying and that raji ji has covered extensively in marriage when you start dating in the beginning everybody will be proud in colleges saying that i'm a secular i'm a pluralist i'm open minded there is only one god why to fight for it but what is the what do you miss out is which one god is it your god or my god that's the missing point and that's something you have to ask as soon as the you get into dating situations let's say jews judaism is a very monotheistic religion there is only one god and uh, they have certain rituals for example big bis bris circumcision the male child has to go through bris circumcision on eighth day and then later on there is a bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah now if you don't have those things they believe that there is a some kind of something bad going to happen and uh, i'm asking a question in my book that is it a circumcision is a science or is it just superstition so so uh, 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 dilip bhai let me just interject for the benefit of viewers 
who are not familiar, uh, bris circumcision is a certain uh, Jewish ritual. Jewish ritual required circumcision. It's a, it's done by a rabbi, a priest, uh, and it's a very important part of uh, being a Jew, being marked in your skin, in your body, as that you are a Jewish person because of that particular the way that ritual is done. And the bar mitzvah uh, later in life uh, is like a coming of age, uh, similar to like in some traditions we have a thread ceremony, things like that. So it also pronounces this person coming into adulthood as a Jew. So this is these that are is the two examples you gave of uh, uh, important rituals that uh, Jews will not want to water down or do away with. Uh, and yes. and uh, okay, so tell now continue, please tell us why why yep. why are these a pro- why? so a lot of uh, Hindus will say, why is the problem? Uh, my uh, my daughter-in-law wears bindi, wears sari, and uh, she sits and she eats a lot of mangoes also, and uh, so she has no problem sitting in front of Ganesh. So why are you worried? So what, what is your... you, you have raised a superb question. And that was my problem in the beginning of my, uh, uh, when I was uh, doing all those research and talking to my colleagues and friends and my friends, uh, relatives close by. And everybody keeps on saying, Dilip, there is no issue. Why you think this is an issue? I mean, uh, so because to point it out, that's why I started this website and collected the facts of 1200 years. You go on website today on all those 1200s are documented and you see how they are being boiled. Now, I don't have problem with any of those, uh, I call it labeling. This is their procedures. We have our rituals and ideally we both should do it, uh, respect each other's and shares. And that's beautiful. That's exactly what I'm for. But at the same token, you have to know what they are coming from, what is in their mind. Uh, doing all those things, does it mean you are now not going to be Hindu? Barmizwa requires so much time, something like three times a day, three times a week you have to go to Barmizwa. Are you going to have any time left to go to Balvihar? Yeah, so I think people should know what uh, Dilip Bhai is saying is uh, Hindu marries a Jew and the, the Jew says my, the kids will be having this circumcision ceremony and they'll be having bar mitzvah. So as the child grows up, uh, there is a requirement to go three times a week to the synagogue for education, for training, uh, before you are be, before you are certified ready for the bar mitzvah. Uh, you can't just walk in and say, I, I, I write a check and do this ceremony. It's not like that. Uh, you have to prove to the rabbi that you actually learnt all this stuff and then you are ready for it. Uh, so, what the point is saying is that the child of this interfaith couple, by the time he goes for, for ready for the bar mitzvah, he's got this mind full of Jewish ideas and he's convinced he's a Jew because they require that he has to say that he's a Jew. And in the, in the Jewish tradition, uh, similar to all the other Abrahamic traditions, uh, no other god, no other deity can be worshipped. Uh, and things of that sort. So this is your concern that the process of we are not concerned about that ritual, but the yes. ritual requires him to disown and repudiate his Hindu ancestry. That is part of going through the process. Let me add one very practical point which will convince my readers. Barmizwa, to be a Jew, according to Lisa Miller, it costs $120,000 a year in some situations. Meaning, to be a Jew, you have to pay something like 3 to 12% of your gross income to synagogue and all those. It's very expensive. 
So my question is, I, I don't have any problem you spend 100,000 or whatever $10,000 you spend for Jewish cause. Are you going to spend the same amount of time and money for Hindu cause too? And if it is a 50-50 exactly, yes, I'm 100% for it, go for it. So let's uh, put up the slide again and look at the Christian. Uh, let's, yep. uh, let's, now, now what is your, so tell us about the Christian, what is your recommended solution? So in the case of uh, Jewish, you are, your book says you don't recommend this Jewish uh, circumcision or bar mitzvah uh, to be performed. And what do you recommend for Christian marriage? Uh, I must say that Jesus is my hero. When I read the Bible, uh, I found that he's so progressive minded, so open minded. He made so many changes. He says the circumcision is of no avail. Second commandment who says I will punish you to three to four generations. He says, nope, love thy neighbors. He made so many changes. So Jesus is my hero. But the problem is the church. So what I say that uh, follow Jesus, not the church. Church will want to have you baptism. And if not baptism for you, they will want uh, a prenuptial agreement to be signed if you want to marry in the church. And the prenuptial will say that uh, you will raise the child in Catholic faith only and will be baptizing. Now, okay, I don't have any problem with that, but you have to understand the legality. Let's say five years down the road, 10 years down the road, there is a divorce. There is a child custody battle. Legally, when the marriage happened, both were agreed and signed off that the child will be Christians only. You will not get uh, child custody because uh, you're going to teach them the Hindu faith. So point is, it's not just baptism, taking a deep in water is not an issue. This labeling or these rituals have some deep meaning to it. And are you really, really willing to follow through it? See, I if have you a, want to be. Yeah, I have a, to give you an example, I have a friend uh, who's, uh, who married a Mormon. Uh, yeah. in, uh, in Salt Lake City. And yeah. uh, then uh, there was an ugly uh, situation because she was raising the kids to be totally uh, denounced their Hindu heritage and all that. So they had a messy divorce. And she was able to prove in court that he is not fit to be the father. He cannot have custody because of his Hinduism. And, and uh, there is an implied uh, uh, consent, even though he did not sign a prenuptial, but the fact that he submitted to a Mormon wedding, which he as a naive Hindu thought, right. oh, how does it matter? God is one and they are going to say, oh, love each other. So whether I say it in front of the church or temple, who cares? How does it matter? He is one of those confused sort of fellows. And now he's, he's the biggest trauma in his life is that the courts have ruled in favor of his wife that because it was a certain wedding, it was presumed to be under the laws. There are laws of the marriage covenant between man and wife as per that church. And since he has openly said he practices Hinduism, he is therefore not going to be fit to raise the kids or to be under the, to have them too much in his influence. So they very seriously curtail how much access he can have, almost like he's a threat to the children. This is, this is an if, example uh, uh, I, I, I know about. If, and this guy is a, this, this guy lives, uh, he's a, I don't want to mention his name because personal matter. Yeah. He's an adjunct professor at Harvard. He's an economist. He's a very intelligent, learned man. Uh, you know, he's often invited me. He's a very liberal type guy uh, until all this happened. So uh, this can happen to different sort of people. Yeah. If I was a judge, I would exactly come to this conclusion. 
and that's what everyone should know legality because you are not taking just some baptism you are committing for lifetime so i think people need to know that in the abrahamic religions there is there is a very defined law uh, yeah. the law and so the how you marry what your identity is has to do with legally you are a member of something and you agree to comply with their rules and so when somebody marries a certain way uh, by default he has joined that organization he is a member and he is required to f- comply with those rules so in the event of a dispute those are the rules that will be ap- applied in the event of a in the event of a divorce between hindus uh, courts will apply you know what what was the assumption according to hindu law in the case of uh, muslims that and so on so in the case of an interfaith unless it's clarified up front you may be liable to a surprise that's your point yeah correct so very true so let's go back to the slide and the third example has to do with the islam before that let me clarify one point that uh, all those people who comes to me or who gets into interfaith marriage actually more are very highly educated and very very intellectual uh, very established people so it really bothers me that uh, you are so intelligent so bargain hunters you make millions of dollars why you cannot think of this such some some basic uh, fundamental things so let me get on the third point islam one way i really honor and respect islam and that is they are very clear upfront they are very honest versus with christians and jews sometimes you get mixed up mixed messages all the cases i deal with it before marriage the muslim will make it clear that you have to be 100% muslim and 0% hindu are you ready or not and yeah they don't tell all those things during dating time but before marriage it gets very clear and to the stage that you they will want you to have a shahadat oath and shahadat meaning you have to pronounce that now you are a muslim it says la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasul rasulullah meaning there is one god muhammad is the messenger of that god so when you marry No, no. Wait a, wait, wait, wait a second. It says there is one God. Doesn't it also say that one God is Allah? Yeah, there is one Because God who is Allah. Otherwise, if there is one God, I could say fine, it's Krishna. I could say that. But there is only one God. That God is Allah, and uh, right. His uh, 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 final prophet is uh, Muhammad. Uh, so Muhammad supersedes all other, uh, you know, uh, prophets and so on. That that is the point. That is the requirement. That is that is the requirement. uh it's a must you cannot have islamic nikah wedding without this shahadat conversion there is not a single imam in this world will perform islamic nikah wedding without uh, conversion so just for just for clarifying for my audience because we have large mixed audience of various kinds nikah is the muslim wedding ceremony and what dilip bhai just said is no imam imams are the ones who are supposed to carry out that uh, wedding uh, no one will do this wedding this uh, muslim wedding without a first a conversion process conversion process is like a contract a kind of you are basically saying that i have converted disowned all my deities disowned my god disowned everything and now i'm i'm going to comply with all the uh, the the rules and regulations of being a muslim that's what it 
you have to you are doing that yeah, yeah. right okay so uh, so you are uh, converting and once you convert in most cases i would say 99 90% cases they will not want hindu marriages so you will be very clear upfront that what you are getting into it so in that respect i i'm very happy for muslims they are upfront and clear only thing is i wish those muslims be little more honest from the dating time not after they bring up this conversion issues 3 or 10 years after dating so that's a that's a good point uh, uh, the rules of uh, marriage should be more clear earlier in the pro- in the relationship not at the end yeah uh, one thing i want to tell you is i have many friends here whose kids married muslim mm-hmm. very very subtle point hindus said we need a hindu wedding and uh, muslim said we need a muslim wedding so <laughs> the hindus hindus tell all their friends that there will be both weddings however no. there is a very there is a very simple subtle point the hindu yeah. wedding comes first with a lot of uh, tamasha mela a big uh, yeah. ambiance and you know big event going on muslim wedding is done later and therefore it supersedes the hindu wedding so when the muslim wedding takes place they are converting whatever you may have done yesterday that is null and void done. because in the muslim wedding you denounce you denounce all religions all allegiance all of this and so on so suppose and i told this to a friend of mine who said no 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 rajiv you are worrying there we'll have both weddings and all that so i said okay what's the sequence he said we'll have a hindu wedding you will be coming 100 people 200 300 people will come and then they'll have a simple muslim wedding just to keep the uh, imam happy i said no no, no. you go to them and say we'll do it the other way round uh, you do the muslim wedding first and the next day we'll have a big hindu wedding he said of course there'll no problem i said try it he came back and said they are not willing to do it because if you do the muslim wedding first then you have denounced all other faiths you are not allowed to next day go and have a hindu wedding that is so correct. so so this is a <laughs> i didn't know these things but i Actually, guess these you raised a very good point many times parent may be honest telling you what they telling because they don't know what that child has done it for example you marry in a church i got a wedding invitation for a french daughter who married in a church right away i ran to church to confirm that what is this uh, means the church told me that yes the, the hindu will have to sign this prenuptial agreement when i talked to parents this is no 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 that cannot be possible the point is the child will have to sign it child will not tell the parents what they are up to so parents may be honest but they are naive right 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 so now uh, uh, now really bhai i want to give you some of my thoughts on this uh, whole uh, issue uh, just for my let point of conclude, view let me conclude uh, okay please go ahead let me bring no, one more on. point sure i want to tell people that uh, yes i am not there are plenty of within faith problems within faith marriage problems interfaith problems Interfaith marriage could be really great, and uh, that's not I am telling you against it. But to make an informed decision, if it is a Christian, tell them that I love Jesus. I will have a Christmas tree. We will have a Easter egg hunt. I will have a big party, but I will not baptize for church. So accept Jesus, but uh, keep the uh, church out of it, meaning no baptism, and you are all covered. If it is a Muslim, you will say I will accept Allah. i will perform five times namaz i'll start wearing hijab and i'll be 100% muslim except i will not uttered word muhammad ever 
and the Muslim will walk out of it. They say, forget it. Because for them, as much as they say Allah is everything, if you remove Muhammad, there is nothing much left. Okay, so Dilip Bhai, let me give you now my views because for my, my viewers, I also want to, uh, I, I, I have uh, uh, a distinguished guest, he's written a nice book and I want him to wanted him to explain which he has done, his views. I want to give you my views also now. Uh, so uh, first of all, first of all, I feel that uh, uh, your approach puts a lot of responsibility, which is true on the individual who's marrying or considering marrying and the parents. But you have not put so much emphasis on the Hindu priest, the Acharya, the, the Purohit, the priest in the temple. Whereas from the Christian side, it's the Christian priest who's the expert on these things, the rabbi in the, Jew, in the Jewish tradition and the imam in the Muslim tradition. So they have people who are professional experts. It's like, a, it's like a professional doctor like you are is an expert when the person who's just doing home remedies on his own is not really educated to, in the same way. So the... Uh, I think there is an, a need to, in the United States or in Western countries where these things are happening on a large scale, there is need to train the priesthood, uh, not to just do rituals and not to just do acharyas to teach, you know, Bhagavad Gita and uh, Upanishad and, you know, all, which is fantastic, we ought to do that, uh, but also to make them aware of social, political, cultural issues of this sort because it's such a widespread trend and it's going to get even more so as time passes. So rather than avoiding the trend, they have to they have to become experts. So in the case of church, they are training priests to become uh, counselors, family counselors, uh, and also rabbis. People often, when they have some family issue, they uh, discuss with a rabbi or the imam or the priest, and they give advice and they are trained. Uh, in the case of a temple, you know, the you, who would you go to? I mean, there are the trustees who are just regular people like uh, us, you know, running a temple, and then they have all the rituals done by a priest. But uh, the priest is not that informed, not that well educated about American society. He's not going to be able to do all these things. So we need a certification program for interfaith counseling, interfaith coaching, dating and marriage coaching. And this is the sort of thing that, you know, I would hope that a Hindu, Amer Hindu University of America and various groups that are trying to promote, they ought to create a certification program and bring uh, maybe the HMEC, the Hindu Mandir Executive Committee, maybe they ought to create a thing where, you know, batches of 50 or whatever priests can go and learn all this stuff. And you could be a teacher, uh, giving them, giving them uh, you know, counseling on how to, how to do it. Rather than doing, you doing it at the retail level, one client at a time, uh, you should teach the priests and then the priests already have enough clients. What do you think of that? Superb idea, superb idea, and that is a very missing. Uh, let me give you one example from my website. It's a, that's the lady in the uh, northern India part. She was uh, got in love. She's a really Shiva bhakta, and she got somehow love with a, a Muslim guy. And he says, "No, I love Shiva." And they start going to mandir and all that. So then ultimately she got into love, and uh, they had a wedding in uh, Shiv mandir. It's only. Three months into the marriage, she realized that uh, to having a Hindu wedding was only way of taking her to bed. And later on, she had to convert to Islam and all that. Here, I truly blame the... And I asked her that, do you have any documentation? She says she had some photos, but the guy is run, run away with those photos, so she does not have that proof. 
And I say, how about Mandir priest? Did, did he keep any record? He says, no, 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 we just give uh, Dakshina and uh, we walk away. There is no documentation that these two people are married. So she says that she has, it, it was only way of taking her to bed. That was the only purpose this, this uh, Hindu wedding showed to her. Meaning Hindus, they are getting trapped and I blame to Hindu priests for not properly documenting and not understanding. They probably never even never ask who is this person. So they're, they're naive, the priests are naive, they're ignorant and they are, they are just right. sort of, uh, uh, you know, village bumpkins, some of them just come from some village into this great uh, advanced modern society and they, are, they, they don't want to rock the boat because they feel they're very fortunate being here. I mean, they have all these complexes, the priests in the Hindu temples in North America got all kind of complexes. They are not with authority. The priest is supposed to be the authority person. The person who's got power, who's got clout in the in the eyes of the tradition, and he's the one. Like in the, the imams have authority, the priest in a in a Christian church has authority. The rabbi has enormous authority. I mean, rabbi can decide and tell you this is the law, this is not the law. And but the priest does not. It does not come across the persona of a, a person who feels empowered. So that's a that's an issue that uh, needs to be dealt with. Now I also feel, I also feel that your proposals. Uh, I would go further. I would go further okay. than your proposals. Your proposals have to do with our, what should be our attitude towards their rituals and their symbolism and their beliefs. I would say that we need to insert some of our symbols, rituals and beliefs into the wedding and require that also. So I would say we will have Hindu deities in our house. Uh, we will worship these Hindu deities. Uh, we will give them respect. Now, if they say that according to their tradition, idol worship is banned, that is a that is a showstopper. So it's not yeah. only whether what we think of Allah, what we think of Jesus, that's the, to be negotiated. But what do you think of Krishna, or what do you think of Durga, and what do you think of Shiva, and what do you think that I am going to put images because I believe in bhakti, and what do you think of Om? And what do you think of chanting and we'll have music, uh, various uh, mantras going on. What do you think of that? So you have to educate the Hindu not only on what should be his or her position vis-a-vis -vis the other tradition, but what they have to ask the other person to position vis-a-vis -vis our tradition. So these are what I call poison pills. Poison pills meaning I want you to eat this delicious thing called, you know, we're getting married, but inside it I have put some requirements. And if those, if you feel that those are poisonous, that we better find out right now. So the, 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 I, and then I want, I want you to, you, my partner, to understand that I believe in karma and I believe in reincarnation. What is your view on that? And I believe in, uh, in the whole, the whole theory and the whole philosophy of the duties of my children. So they'll cremate me and they'll have certain responsibilities to that. So I, so it is not enough that we'll give a Hindu name. But then everything else has to do with what we believe of your, your faith. What about my faith? And what about your attitude towards my faith? And how to what extent the kids will be educated in my faith? I think that part you need to add in your book. Because, because it's not enough to negotiate uh, using the other person's uh, you know, tradition. Uh, you also have to negotiate the status of our own tradition. In my book, I have an article and I'm, I'm saying proudly in the book that I'm an idol worshipper. Why not? 
Yes, good. because uh, who is not idol worshiper? Christians have thousands of uh, statues, idols, Mary, Jesus, Father Gods, uh, Holy Ghost, so many polytheist uh, beliefs. Islam, they have their own idols, Kaaba and Muhammad. And, uh, so everybody has, who, uh, Jews have their own idols, Star of David and uh, the candles. And So what's wrong being an idol worshiper? Like Swami Vivekananda says, if uh, idol worshiping produces his own uh, gurus, What's wrong having being a being an idol worshiper as soon as you are a great human being of this world? Yeah, so I would say it it's good that they may have idols. Maybe some will say we don't, and the candle is not human face. It, uh, idol is when it's a human representation, and Kaaba is not a human representation. They'll argue. Same for like us. That. Yeah, say, no, but we have Krishna. It's a human face. I want the right to do that. I mean, the point is, yeah. I don't want to justify my tradition by saying you also have something similar whether you have or not doesn't matter okay. uh, whether 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 you have uh, images images of the divine or you don't believe in images of the divine the point is i have a right to believe these images because they work for me that's my ancestry and i assert that right whether you have it or not doesn't matter to me i would go strong because why should we compromise the integrity and the sanctity of our faith by saying that, okay, you also have something similar, because then we are playing into their expertise on whether it's really idle, whether it's not idle. Uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't even go there. I would say that this is my requirement. Uh, and, and, and similarly, when I talk about, you know, karma, a lot of Hindus try to be apologetic and say, okay, it's similar to something you have. Whether it's similar yeah. or not, that's my faith. Because I think this, so what it requires is, we have to fight the inferiority complex of our own people. Good point. Uh, uh, we have to fight the ignorance of our own people. We have to fight the embarrassment that, oh, I don't want to rock the boat, you know, I'm lucky to be here. And therefore, you know, come on, uh, you know, uh, we are productive uh, members of society, especially the next generation. They are very powerfully placed. They should not have any such yeah. complexes. And, and this business that, uh, and I think another problem is the priesthood is ignorant of uh, social issues. Uh, they need to be much better educated and the temple should invest in this. The, the Hindu Mandir Executive Committee should invest in this. Hindu University of America should uh, start these kind of courses. We need, we need people to understand that this problem is a serious problem. Good point. Excellent. I agree. The thing is, when you take a, your own position, you'll be surprised that the other party really accepts it. For example, in my book, uh, if you look the back part, I'm amazed that uh, Christians, Jews, and Muslims, they are really writing, when they read it, they are so excited. And about my book, I'm so happy that uh, more non-Hindus are excited about. I have still to see the excitement from Hindus. So uh, it's, uh, they respect your feelings, if you speak Good. up. Good, uh, uh, Dilip Bhai, thank you for this uh, opportunity to discuss. Uh, you've opened a very important area of research. Uh, you know, we are just scratching the surface. So much more needs to be done. We need to have conferences, panels, discuss on these matters uh, because these percentages have creeped up from the single digits all the way to 38% and whatnot in the last uh, 20 years. And it's only going to get higher. So rather than avoiding the problem or hoping it's not there or, or accusing other people, blaming other people, I think we, we need to get more actively involved ourselves. And we should do it with a, actually our posture 
towards interfaith relations should be a very liberal, broad-minded, open-minded one, such that we come and say, okay, you can have whatever you want, but I need to have my deity, I need to have my images, I need to have my mandir, I need to have these ideas and beliefs, and I, I, I want to propagate them to my children. Now, are you willing to accept? So, if the, if the breakup in negotiation comes, the other side can break up, the other side can walk away. But Hindu is a very broad-minded person. We should neither acquiesce and succumb to their requirements, nor be uh, sort of afraid to put our own demand on the table. That would be my, my posture. Great point. In my book, I am writing that uh, promise less, produce more. So, just like any business deal, marriage is just like a business deal. Tell them the worst case scenario just to find it out the truth. And once you have everything up front laid down and then make a decision, whatever is right. So don't try to be wishy-washy and uh, just go present worse than what, what you want it actually. And then settle for somewhere in the middle. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dilip Bhai. And to my followers and viewers, uh, what I want to say is that uh, it, uh, what we have tried to do today is to stir up some issues and get you to think for yourself and investigate and examine these issues. We are not trying to feed you with one idea or another idea. We are just saying that there is a lot of data uh, which my guest has organized and this is compelling data and people ought to uh, understand this and get into these discussions with an open mind and we want uh, more uh, harmony. Uh, we want more uh, interfaith, uh, you know, cooperation, collaboration, marriages, whatever. Uh, but I think this should be done with open eyes uh, and with lots of knowledge and lots of courage and confidence. With that, I will conclude. Thank you for watching. Namaste.